So um, my name is Keith Gonzalez. For you guys who don't know, I've, I've been leading worship here now uh, with the team and then more frequently recently uh, with everything that's going on. And so it's cool. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to talk with you guys about something that I'm passionate about. Um, family devotions, which if I'm being completely open and honest, was not in my wheelhouse for years because I wasn't a Christian. I, some of you don't know this, but I was born again about 10 years ago at the age of 30. Right, I had one child at the time, and I had, just like anyone who doesn't know the Lord, I had no idea about all these things that those of us who are in the church and plugged in just kind of take for granted, right? They, they, you take for granted after a while that, yeah, it is my job to disciple my kids and to love them and teach them in the love and admonition of the Lord. So when I, when I found out that people were doing that, I was kind of shocked, and it caught me off guard, and I thought, wait up, this is something I'm actually supposed to be doing, I'm supposed to be teaching my kids the Bible. And, and, and these guys that I was listening to now were talking about actually sitting down at night, you know, making a specific time where you would sing a song or open up the Bible and read them a lesson um, or just go through something called a catechism, which, uh, you know, I grew up in the Catholic church. So the catechism was this big fat book they gave us in like ninth and 10th grade that we were, that nobody really read, but you took it with you every time you went to confirmation classes. But this was real, and these kids, uh, it was real for me. I, I mean, that was one of the biggest things that hit me the most when my son was born right before I was saved was I, I needed to teach this young child right from wrong, and I did not have a foundation. The Lord totally used that. So anyway, fast forward, I am saved, and they're old enough now to really start implementing this. And my two oldest, Luke and Evelyn, they are 11 and 9 right now. So this was maybe five years ago. And so it's them two. And they are my special little obedient children. If daddy raises his voice, they just listen. They snap to attention. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, they don't ever want to disappoint me. And man, family devotion, cakewalk for years. And then I've got my little, my little spark plug, my little Sienna, who's three years younger then my second child, and she was the baby. She was going to bed by herself, so every night she was very demanding. I had to sing her three songs. I had to sing her Jesus Loves Me. I had to sing her a song by the Gettys called You Have Searched Me, and I had to sing her Before the Throne of God Above. Once I had started doing those things, she demanded them every night for about a year and a half. And that was our routine, and I felt like I'm discipling the whole family. Man, I'm doing a great job. Well, then she gets old enough to where she's not going to bed by herself. She's not just, you know, submitting to this plan. So I'm like, all right, maybe I bring her into the family devotions. And then it all just fell apart. <laughs> it became, all right, we're going to sit down. As soon as I start talking, she's cracking jokes. She's the manipulator. She's the, the fire plug, right? She's the spark plug, whatever you want to call it. And, man, night after night, these things are falling apart. And I'm starting to raise my voice at her, and I'm starting to punish her, and I'm starting to try whatever I can do. And in the meantime... I'm just getting more and more angry and not leading my kids. I remember one night I took her in the room by herself and I'm standing over her, which I try not to do. I try to get down to the level a lot of times, but I'm standing over her that night. I'm like, Sienna, this is not pleasing to me. This is not pleasing to God. He wants us to grow as a family. And what I'm seeing in her face is nothing. There's nothing. She's not receiving what I'm saying. She's not learning anything. I am, I am not leading her anywhere. And it just hit me. 
that I am doing this wrong and I have to own that and I have to dig into this a little more and figure out how to love my daughter for who she is in order to lead her to Christ. And I thought the chapter in this book really kind of touched on some things that I've utilized to try and grow in that aspect, right? So we're talking about family devotions today. And if y'all were here nine, ten months ago, whenever Ryan Lowe did that teaching, he did such a great job that I'm not even going to go in the direction that he went in. If you want to go look that up on YouTube, he will give you every resource you could ever need that will last you for years. He's going to give you great insight on how to be the guy that's leading your family. So tonight I'm going to talk more about the heart of the family devotional. And we'll start in Luke 18, kind of where early goes. And I'll just read this real quick and we'll pray. So Luke 18, uh, verse 15 through 17. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me. And do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, bless this time for us as dads who genuinely take the time off on a Saturday morning to come together and seek to serve our families better to serve ultimately your kingdom better, to serve you better. We see them as little individuals created in the image of God who've been entrusted to us for such a short time. Help us to steward them well and use this time to help us achieve that. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, Early does a great job laying out this biblical scene for us, right? Jesus, he says on, I don't have the page, but I'm quoting him here. They must have thought Jesus was really something because they just desperately wanted him to touch their children, to just say a word, to just get close. I like to imagine the part of them that is parents at their best, that part of us that quietly yearns to have our children experience some bit of God because we know that a bit of God is enough to change anyone. Now, Like I've already kind of mentioned, when I think of this group, I I assume that you're the guys that are implementing these things in your households, or you have implemented these things in your households, right? You're here, like I said already, it's Saturday morning. Um, There are many things I'm sure you could be doing. You could be cutting your grass. You could be going for a workout. You could be whatever, right? The list could go on and on, but we're here, and we want to do this well, so we're willing to read the book. We're willing to wake up and get dressed and come here. You're committed. I'm assuming that, right? I I think. I've talked to enough of you guys to pretty much know that that's probably true. But even as a committed dad, um, the good Christian father that you may be, you probably don't have to stretch your imagination to also envision the portion of Early's words that I'm about to read to be true. That in this context of Jesus telling them to let the children come to him and don't hinder them, Early writes, I also imagine that this scene cannot have been an orderly line of parents shuffling silent children to the front for a solemn hand of blessing on their forehead. The Luke account notes that the parents were bringing kids, even infants, which likely meant what you think it means, 
They were filling the scene with kids who couldn't stop crying and couldn't behave and couldn't wait in line and so on and so on and so on. Kids that maybe needed to be disciplined, kids that maybe had a poopy diaper, kids that had whatever list of, of things that you have to deal with. They were being just like your kids. In a first century context, they were still kids. They may have been little turds. They may have been little angels, whatever you want to imagine. But I'm sure they were all kind of like a little both every now and then. And in this passage, early envisions this kind of pandemonium that it's easy to imagine with a large crowd of kids. Maybe they were pulling at Jesus's hair. Maybe they were pulling at his earlobe. Maybe they were crawling on the one who is fully God and fully man, literally in the flesh. Who knows? But what we do know is that in that scene, the disciples are like, no, we got to break this up. This is not good. This is not the Jesus ministry that we're supposed to be doing, right? And Jesus is way too important. This work is way too serious and important for us to allow this to happen. And Jesus does what he does with so many things. He takes that moment and he makes it a teachable moment. He says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. In other words, stop what you're doing. Get out of the way. Let them come to me. Don't stop them. That's not your business to stop them. It is not for you to get in the way of children to come to me. Why, though? Because, in verse 16, to such belongs the kingdom of God. To such. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Well, what does that mean? To such the kingdom of God belongs to children? What are we talking about here? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is that you need to be like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. He's teaching us about the type of character, the type of heart necessary to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's not the first time or the only time that he does so in the Gospels. If we look at Luke 5.31, Jesus is dining with what the people at the time would have thought of as trash, the disreputable people. The kind of people you wouldn't invite over for dinner, the tax collectors and the sinners. And when Jesus is questioned about that, he answers them, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's flush throughout the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, we were talking about this at work yesterday, right? When Jesus says, thou shalt not judge, right? Because by that measure, it will also be measured against you. And so, so many people take that in our society and they twist it. But really, if, if, if you've got, well, essentially the spirit of God, I, I don't want to throw that out the window. But even just some simple reading skills there. All right, so if I judge people, whatever fashion that I use to judge these other people, that's going to be used to judge me. And if I'm honest with myself, I'm not going to measure up to that, right? None of us will. Well, then maybe, man, maybe I'm not good enough. That's so outside of our sinful cultural wheelhouse that uh, it literally is the spirit of God that has to come in and change people's hearts. And so early points this out. And our main passage here comes, and this is important, I think, whenever we're reading scripture. I'm sure some of you guys know this, but let's go into the context here. And the context of Jesus telling them this passage comes immediately after the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And so let's just read through that real quick. It's uh, Luke 18, 9 through 14, directly before this. 
He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The type of humility that Jesus is talking about here, guys, it's the framework upon which we build healthy relationships with our children as we seek to disciple them. Because they're a mess. They just are. And if you've been a dad long enough, you know that. They will obfuscate, disorient, and disrupt to the best of their abilities almost anything, but especially during family devotions. But you've had this same foolish behavior in your life. And, and you know that. You guys are here. You're at church. You, you get this message. You get the idea that you've been just as hard-headed as your children. You've been just as stubborn. And yet you've received grace and mercy. So own that fact. When we come to our children and, we, and we're discipling them through these family devotions, when we sit down at the table with them, when we sit down at the foot of the bed, wherever it is you're doing this, man, go to that moment with the heart of the tax collector in the temple, beating your chest and saying, I don't deserve to steward these kids. I really don't. God has entrusted me with such a monumental task. And then enter into it knowing that you can plant, you can water, but God provides the growth. Own the fact that you've received undeserved grace from a father who is rich in steadfast love every time you sit down with your family. Own the fact that as you fumble through learning how to, to disciple your children, you're just doing it to the best of your ability. And, you, and you're going to offer them the grace that's been offered to you. Own it that as you recognize that each of your children has different learning needs. Wear that grace like a cover. And own that as, and I'm quoting early here, as you create a space to share a mess and proclaim that God loves messy things like us. I mean, isn't that what our lives are all? Every day? Our lives are a mess, right? We sin every day, and we know it. We're, we're old enough now, maybe we've been walking with the Lord long enough to where when you mess up, you know it. And it's a mess. And you think, man, I don't deserve this. But God still proclaims his love and his glory through you. And he can do it through your children. Elizabeth Elliot, um, well-known missionary, said, God gives to fallible parents this little boy or girl who will certainly prove to be far from perfect, to love and train and teach to bring up in the nurture and admonition, the training and instruction of the Lord. It's a serious assignment. There is no higher calling. Our culture 
may not see that. And they've lost their way in so many areas with this. But guys, we're going to do it. We, we are dedicated to doing that. Do it messy and do it full of grace. If God can love you the way that he does, then he can show you how to love your children the way they need to be loved. Like early said in this chapter, you can be approachable just like Jesus was approachable. So some practical thoughts, right? That's kind of the heart of where I'm at. Some practical thoughts. On page 115, early writes, what seems to matter is whether we are doing something or doing nothing. When it comes to family devotionals, it's very similar to exercising. If you're not doing anything, you're not getting stronger, you're not getting faster, you're not getting full of more endurance, your cardiovascular, more not cardiovascular, but you know what I'm saying. Um, It's very tied in. You've got to do something. So just do something. If our goal was to do something perfect, right, we'd still be doing nothing, but that's not the goal. The goal is just to do something. On page 119, Early writes, he loves broken people who don't exactly know how to do the worship thing right. So as we approach these family devotionals and we seek to do the worship thing right, we've also got to remember, not only does God love us and he's given us grace and mercy to do this task, but Jesus was the only one who did the worship thing right, ever. That's why he came, literally, it's why he came. He had to come because God looks down and sees a bunch of fools who have no idea how to properly worship him. Not to the point of perfection, right? Jesus comes in the flesh to show us that. So rest assured that when you go about this task, you won't do it perfect. And that's all right. You're correct. Page 120 early lists many places to use as starting points. And um, we'll go through that list real quick. But the biggest thing that I resonated with was just pick one thing. Just pick one thing to start with, and you can't go wrong with simple truths and simple prayers. And man, I just, I, I don't know if I'm going to read the whole thing. But I read this list, and it really hit me how simple some of our worship should be. At the heart of every worship song, at the heart of every message that we hear, right? These truths should kind of ring through. And not all of them. He says that, you know, don't do all of these things. Don't try to do all of these things. Just pick one. And the list is on 121. He says, simple, God is real. That's what we're teaching them. God is real. He loves you. Right? You could read a book on God's love for you, but you've only got 10 minutes, Dad, so make it happen. <laughs> Good and evil exist. Good will win. You are made in the image of God. You are also fallen. Jesus died for you. He also rose for you. God's world is beautiful. And, and again, we don't have to go through this whole list, but little truths like that, man, you could take just one of those ideas and spend a week on that, two weeks. Because they combat, they combat the simple lies that he lists. And these are so subtle in our culture, but they, they pervade. And when, when you read this list, you understand how much they pervade popular movies and music and television and everything, right? Evil, they say, doesn't really exist. You aren't really lovable. Your parents might leave. No one hears your prayers You are essentially alone. Things don't happen for a reason. This is what we're fighting against. The idea that your body doesn't matter or you are a cosmic accident, right? We're laying the foundation week by week so that as they approach those falsehoods, those lies, they'll be equipped. And this, as we get into application a little bit, 
this can seem like a huge, monumental, intimidating task. Because we know those things are so wicked. And, and we know how they've led people in our lives down paths that we don't ever want our children to go down. We want them protected from the wickedness that's in the world. From the sin, the flesh, the devil, all the temptation that they're going to have to deal with. And it's overwhelming and you're going to feel like you have to do everything. But you can't. Right? Some of us know that. Some of us know we can't. We just can't go through everything. We're not gifted teachers. We're not whatever the list goes on and on. So application I'm going to mention right now is I would say, and not just a plug for the church, but this has been a great help for me, lean on LCC Kids Ministry. Lean on what Ryan's doing. All the resources he puts out. Uh, and namely, let's just talk about it practically speaking. I printed it out. The email that they send out every week. Man, this, is, this makes what you're going to do easy if you utilize it. Understand that you don't have the time to develop child curriculum. You, you just don't. I don't. I don't have time to write a book. I don't have time to blah, blah, blah. I've got work and diapers and whatever else. And I know you do too. <laughs> so this, this email comes out and they'll give you announcements every week, right? They've got drama camp for fifth and sixth grades, craft day. You do that how you see accordingly. But then they really break down what they went through on Sundays, right? They'll give you the verses that they reviewed, the fighter verses, and then broken down age-appropriate material. What did we learn this week? And so I don't have toddlers, so very practically speaking, I just skip right through that. I don't have a toddler in there. Do I have pre-K kid? Nope, I skip that too. I go to K through fourth grade, and I think, all right, I've got two in that age range. So this is what they talked about last week. Saul is knocked to the ground. On the road to Damascus, Saul was knocked to the ground, right? Jesus says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? That's what we've been going over this week. I've got the book, Old Story New, that they've talked about uh, and that they've pushed. Man, spend the money. Get the book. It'll save you a bunch of time, and it'll really open up avenues for you to read things pre-planned to your children and go through it with them. Super helpful. On top of that, I do have a fifth grader. He's going into sixth grade this year, and they're going through New City Catechism. So when, they, when the church started that, they gave out copies of that, I believe, and I grabbed one. And the cool thing about this, let's just do it because it's on my phone, is they have apps you can download. And what do kids love playing with? They love playing with this stupid phone. Man, they love it. Anytime I give it to them. And so on my library on YouTube, I've got songs from New City Catechism. And if you know anything about singing short, simple songs with your kids, they memorize them. They love it. I kind of love it too. Like it helps me geek out a little bit with my kids as we're sitting at the couch. Like this one right here, man. This is just kind of fun. All right, this is the ad that's been showing every time. Not cool. We'll skip this. Right? I'm not going to write this song. I'm not going to take the time to do that. And it's just the cool. What else, what else does Christ's death redeem? And we just, we go through that, right? It's like a two-minute clip. What else does Christ's death redeem? And I just sing it with them. I s- no, I don't even learn the chords for that. That would be too much. You do? Oh, right. You don't have to. Right. It's already there. Right? Use the tools that we're be- we've been given and have fun with the kids. Sing that song with them. Enjoy the moment. And who cares if they don't remember it 10, 15 minutes later? Do it again the next day or two days later. Um, and, and just keep that going. 
and they even give you a list of all the parent resources with hyperlinks. So if your kids are in the ministry here, you're going to get this email. And if you're not using it, I just want to encourage you to use it. Secondly, catechisms, well, we already did that. Get the New City Catechism. I like to open it while we're singing those songs because then I also just have it in there. And, you know, after we sing the songs a couple times, I'll just read through it because I don't want them to, you know, what would it... I always envision, like, they're in sixth grade, they're in tenth grade, whatever. And somebody says, well, I mean, what does Christ's death redeem us from? And my son going, what else does Christ And that would be cool, too, but, I, you know. Aside from that, singing, like, these little catechisms. Um, I heard this from Keith and Kristen Getty a while back, and they would do hymn of the month. And they would just pick one hymn that's solid and time-tested, and they would start learning it with their family. And again, YouTube is a wonderful resource. They want to watch the video anyway, so just put it on. And maybe at the beginning of your night, whatever you're doing that night, if, if you don't feel like opening the Bible or opening a book to read and just reading through that at the moment, say, man, let me get this, let me get this song in their head. And again, sing it with them. Sing it with them, right? We're called to sing. We're called to worship. Show them how to do that. Show them that their daddy loves to sing to and about God. And pick songs. Uh, I mentioned before the throne of God above. I love that song. I've always loved it. And I know, like when I was singing it to Sienna when she was two years old, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. She doesn't understand what that means, right? I don't even fully understand what that means. The full depth of what God accomplished for me on the cross and then pleads on my behalf at the right hand of God the Father. But it's there. It's there. And one day as they grow older, they're going to remember singing that with dad. And God willing, he uses that for his glory in their lives to bring them closer to him. And last but not least, we'll wrap up with this. It's kind of what I started with. Consistency is key. Just like exercising. You know, one of the things, like when I talk to other guys who've been in the gym or been physically active their whole lives, one of the things they always say is, I just come here. (laughs) I just show up. And then I do the work when I'm here. And even if I don't feel like it, I just show up. And I do the work. Because you don't always want to do the work. And that's all right. That's cool. So do it, and then do it again. And if you miss a day or two, or if you miss a week, oh well. And then start over and do it again, (laughs) and then do it again. And what matters is that you don't stop, and you plant that seed in your kids' minds and in their hearts that when they grow up and they start to run into people whose lives don't look anything like ours, they slowly realize, my dad invested his life into me. My dad invested so much of his time into teaching me about who God is. That's got to mean something, right? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, teach us how to love you with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our might. Teach us to follow the commands that you've been given to us. But more than that, Lord, put them on our hearts. Help us to teach them to our children diligently. To talk about them when we sit in our homes. When we walk by the way. When we lie down and when we rise. For your name and your glory. Amen.